I want to preach a little bit different message this morning. Uh, we've been focusing on the birth of Christ over the last couple of weeks and His identity and who He is and what He came to accomplish. And, and uh, we've looked at some different passages out of Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel. And, and, um, and actually, it's, it's kind of funny because it was about a month ago that I was planning out the sermons that I was going to be preaching over Christmas. And I and the last two were the first ones that were on my list, and I got to the end of last week and was looking forward to this week, and the Lord just kind of wouldn't let, wouldn't let go of me on, on preaching something different than I had been planning for several weeks. And, uh, and he, he just kind of redirected my attention to, uh, to, a, to a passage in the book of Galatians that really involves... This, this idea of our adoption through Christ. And uh, you'll notice in your bulletin this morning, the, the title for today's message is Up for Adoption. And uh, it, it's interesting because, to, it's interesting to me anyway, because when you think about the Christmas story, we don't always think about it as, a, as an adoption story, but in reality, it is. I mean, we, we talked last week about how Christ, you know, came into the world and, and He was you know, the very Son of God, and yet um, Joseph, you know, was not his father, but Joseph adopted him. And, uh, but the real story there, the real interesting thing about Christ coming into the world, it's really not so much about his adoption, but it's really about ours. It's about God adopting us through Jesus Christ. I mean, that's why Christ came, and that's what we see in Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5 here in, in just a moment. But I just want to talk to you about the, the, this idea of our adoption for just a moment. Um, I, I believe that it is the nature of adoption that really best describes our relationship to Christ. It is one of those things that we see pictured for us throughout Scripture. Um, sometimes very explicitly so when we look at passages like Romans chapter 8 and verse 15 and the Apostle Paul writes, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And then in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5, he says, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will. Now there's some other places in Scripture where it's not as explicit, but it just speaks of, of us being you know, being brought into God's family, being brought in that way. But another place which is very explicit in speaking of our adoption comes to us in Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And I want to ask you to stand with me this morning as we read from God's holy word. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now I say... As long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Heavenly Father, 
we're confronted by your word. By this truth that we see before us that you sent forth your son. Lord, that's why we celebrate Christmas, because you sent forth your son. And we see here, Lord, that you did it so that we might be adopted into your family. I pray, Lord, as we consider what it means to be adopted by you, that our hearts would be encouraged, that our spirits would be lifted up, and that you would continue to draw us close to you, that we might know you better, and that we might serve you more effectively for the glory of your great and holy name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Paul sets out to write this letter to the Galatians really because he's wanting to contrast for them the differences between the law and grace. The, the Galatian churches, which Galatia is not, is not just one church, but it's, it's a region um, where Paul ministered to, and there are several churches that he's addressing here, and, and the churches of Galatia had, had been infiltrated by teachings that would come alongside and come alongside the gospel. That's, that's how false teaching gets into the church, you know. It, it comes alongside the gospel, and it tries to add something to the gospel, and it tries to make the gospel a little bit different than what it actually is. But that's how it gets in, because it, it sounds good. And, uh, and as Paul's writing, he, he recognizes that there's been some false teaching that has infiltrated the church. And in fact, when he starts off this letter, he uses some pretty harsh language with, with the folks of Galatia to let them know what they're up against, what they're, what they're going against. In fact, you go back to, if you want to flip back to chapter 1 in Galatians, and you look at just uh, beginning in verse 6, and, and Paul says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what you have preached, to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. That's pretty strong language. Paul says, listen, we, we've given you the truth of what the gospel is. And even if I was to return, because he says we, referring to himself and the other apostles. Even if I was to come back and preach something different than I preached before, then I should be cursed by God for giving you something other than what I've already preached. And so Paul, throughout the rest of the letter, he's making the argument of the superiority of grace over the false teachings in which the people were being encouraged to, to be in bondage under the law rather than trusting in Christ alone for their salvation. This was a, a, a teaching that was brought in by a group of people that we, that we know as, as uh, Judaizers. And these Judaizers, what they were, they were, um, they were Jewish people who, who uh, had professed faith in Christ, but who were going around to the Gentiles and saying, listen, it's, it's not enough 
for you to believe in Jesus. You, you have to become a full convert to Judaism in order to really to fully receive the, the blessings of, of Christ. In order, to, in order to be obedient to the teachings of Christ, you have to become a full Jew. That is, you have to be circumcised, you have to follow the law, you have to, and, and you know, there's, there's some, you know, we, we, when we think of the law, we often think of the Ten Commandments, right? But in, in the formal code of Jewish law, there's something like 613 laws in the Old Testament. And, and, and the Jews were trying to keep those 613 laws all the time. And so, when, when the Judaizers would come into the church and they say, we understand it's so great that you've embraced Christ as the Messiah, that you're trusting in Him, but if you really want to be obedient, if you really want to follow Him, then you need to do all these other things too, in order that you might maintain your salvation. Because if you don't do all these other things, you're just, you're just going to fall away and you're not going to do it. And, and Paul says, listen, you can't add anything to grace. You can't, you can't build on the perfection." God has done the work for you. The purpose of the law was not to save us. The purpose of the law was to show how far we fell short of God's standard of perfection. And so God understood our weakness, and He understood our failings, and, and, he, and he comes alongside of us and He says, listen, I know you can't do it on your own. So listen, I'm going to make you part of my family and I'm going to do all the work for you. That's the doctrine of adoption. That when God made us part of His family, that, that he, he took away our sin and He accepted us as who we are in order that He might make us into something better for Himself. And so God adopts us through Christ. But now the, the problem with looking at this false teaching is this isn't just a problem in the, church, the churches of Galatia. The, the problems of this type of false teaching, this, this idea that somehow we can attain to our own righteousness and that we need to maintain our own righteousness in order to be acceptable to God is something that has infiltrated the church over the years and continues to infiltrate the churches of today. We need to be reminded, and Christmas is a great time to be reminded of the nature of God's grace that we find in the spirit of adoption. Because churches by and large, have bought into a false gospel of works over the gospel of grace. I mean, you don't have to look very far and see well-meaning Christians that have, and, and, and they probably, a lot of them don't even recognize they've done it, but you can tell by the way they respond to unchurched people. You see, because when we respond to unchurched people in any way other than with a desire to share the gospel with them and to see them saved, but if we treat them as somehow lesser than we are because they're unchurched and we're churched, then we're saying that we're more righteous than they are and we're better than they are because of what we do. And unfortunately, we see that all too often in the churches. We see people looking down on others who, who sim simply because, you know, they, they don't do the things that we do, and so we look down on them, and, and instead of reaching out to them with the hope of the gospel, we treat them as lesser people. We ignore and look down on those who are not churchgoers when we ought to be reaching out and sharing the gospel of grace with them. You see, the reality is, is when we're born 
into this world, each and every one of us, when we're born into this world, we are born in need of grace. We're born separated from God. We're born as spiritual orphans. I mean, in, in all reality. Children of the world when we're born. And become capable of moral action. As soon as we become capable of the ability to, to, to know and to choose between right and wrong, and we begin to choose wrong for our own benefit, we become accountable to God. And we become separated from His love. And we are in need of His adopting us into His family. That's, that's what Paul was dealing with in the churches of Galatia. And that's even what we're dealing with today. In and what we need to be on guard against is that we don't at any time think that we're better than anybody else. Or that somehow because of our church attendance or somehow because of our service or somehow because of our faithfulness that somehow that any of that is going gonna, is gonna to be what gets us into heaven. None of that gets you into heaven. Only trusting in the completed work of Christ Jesus on the cross is what saves us. Only through Him do we get to heaven. That doesn't mean those other things aren't important. God desires obedience from But that's not what gets you. That's not what makes you right with God. That's not what gives you eternal life. We need grace. The law was given in order that we might understand our need for grace. And all too often, instead of Somewhat where the where the idea of, of law and grace reminds a lot of believers, and, and I don't think they really intended, but it's just kind of how it practically is we we know people and, and they, they come to faith in Christ, but when they don't act and do the things we think that they ought to, we we condemn them and, and we're hard on them and, and we and and we and we judge them harshly. Because somehow we think that because they've made a profession of faith in Christ that all of a sudden they just know what they're supposed to do. But the reality is, is when, you're, when you're adopted by God, when you're, when you're given that new life in Christ, just as you're born into the world as an infant, you're also born spiritually as an infant. It's, it's grace that allows us to grow up in, 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 in the faith and to know and understand what God expects of us, that we can walk and according to His way. And, and when we condemn new Christians because of the way that they're behaving, we're not recognizing the, the reality of what grace does and what it is. We just think, well, well, they should know. But they don't. And we need to be those that come alongside them to help them understand the guide that God has given us in His Word to help them walk in truth and grow in faith. As we look at our text this morning, we see Paul comparing the way of the law against the way of grace. Look back in the first, just first couple of verses here, chapter 4. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father. 
So now Paul is speaking specifically about the children of Israel. He's talking about those that were called children of God, that had been given the law, that, and the law was given why? It was given to, as a guide. It was given as direction. It helped them to see, just as it does today, the law helps us to see the holiness of God. It helps us to see His standard of perfection. But yet he says that there's no difference between the children and the slaves because they've just been given managers until a date set by the Father. Now that's going to be important a little bit later. Okay? He says, so also while we were children, we were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. Now he's pointing back to the, to the Gentiles, which is primarily the people that he's talking to. He's talking about the Gentiles, and he's talking about the, the nature of sin in the world which has held them in bondage, okay? which has kept them from the truth. And so he says, basically, he's just evening the playing field. He's saying, listen, none of us have made it. We're all waiting for God to do something. We're all needing to trust in Him. And then it is, it is in this context that Paul begins to speak about the significance of our adoption through Christ. And this is what's so beautiful, and this is what just really gripped my heart as I was, as I was preparing this week. And, and, uh, and even at the end of last week, I actually quoted Galatians 4, 4, and 5 at the end of last week's message. And it was just, it was just those verses that kept stick, just kept coming in my head, and I just, I was just couldn't shake it. I was like, this, this is what Christmas is about. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. That's what Christmas is all about. And so, so Paul is trying to make this case and he's trying to help us understand that, that in the context of understanding the, the, the superiority of grace over the law, we need to understand that God has purposed to give us grace through this picture of adoption. And so he, he sets out in this text, and, and i got to tell you, as I was studying this week, the, the outline just kept getting longer and longer, and I was like, okay, i got to step back and, and rework this because I'm never going to get through it all. Because the reality is when you start thinking about all that it, the, the doctrine of adoption entails, I mean, I couldn't possibly cover it in a single message. Probably not even two or three. I, I would need a couple weeks or several weeks or months even to, to get fully into it. But, but there are some things that kind of jump out as Paul deals with the priority, the provision, the process, and the purpose of adoption. Now, that's a whole lot for y'all to take in. I know you're not used to me doing four-point sermons, but we're going to move kind of quickly through those um, this morning. Usually, you get, you get like one with three sub-points, but we're going to move quickly through these four points of adoption this morning as we help to understand the significance of what it means for us to be adopted by God. I want you to understand, first of all, the priority of adoption. And I say the priority, and this is, this is implied in the text. The priority of adoption is basically speaking of the necessity of adoption. We stand in a place where we need God to act on our behalf. We've already talked about the significance of the law, what the law does. What does the law do? The law tells us that what, what we've fallen short, right? When we look at the law of God, who's kept the law of God? Anybody? I mean, I don't want to raise my hand because... I don't want to be a liar, because that would be already breaking the law. But we've, we've broken God's law, 
right? And even if we, take, even if we step away from the 613 commandments that, that, the, that the Jews have codified for us, and we just look at the Ten Commandments, you know, what's the first one? Thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? Well, what, why, what does it mean if we, go through, if we go through our week and we don't really give any thought to what God wants from us. We don't give any thought to where God's guiding us. We don't give any thought to, to our, our devotion to Him, to His Word, to His service. And we just kind of go through life and just we don't really think about Him except maybe once or twice a week. And what if all of our devotion and all of our money and all of our time are, are put towards things that, that really God could care less about? I mean, what does that say about who and what we really worship? We've become transgressors of the law right? That's just the first one. I'm not going to run through all ten because, I mean, if we do, we're going to find out really quickly that we all have fallen short of God's commands. We just are not able to, to meet them. The problem is, this is and the, the problem is in our society, I think we've all kind of recognized and even embraced the reality that we're not perfect, Right? I mean, you mess up, and, 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 or you know, your friend messes up, and, and, and you go to them, and you, and you try to encourage them, and what do you tell them? You say, well, nobody's perfect, right? And so, so you know, you're encouraged by that, and, and you try and move on because you recognize you know, you're in the same boat as everybody else. But here's the reality, is that we've so grown accustomed to, to this reality and, and accepting and embracing this reality that nobody's perfect that, that we think, well, since nobody's perfect, God can't really expect perfection. And we think that's not really God's standard because who can meet that? But that's exactly the point. That's exactly the point. We, no, nobody can meet that standard. But it's the standard that Jesus Himself spoke of when He, when he came and He taught in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. He says, therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us with a lot of questions. You go back and you read the accounts of the disciples and as they walked with Jesus, the more Jesus talked, the more questions they had. You know, at one point they're like, they just kind of throw their hands up and they say, who then can be saved? And what does Jesus say? He says, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You see, we need God to act on our behalf. There is, there is a, necess a necessity of God acting on our behalf in order that we might come to know Him in order that we might be accepted by Him. So He has made our adoption a priority because it is the only means by which we can come into a right relationship with Him. We are, each and every one of us, as I've said, born as spiritual orphans. And we need to be adopted. And the coming of Jesus into the world made provision for that adoption. And that's what we see beginning in verse number 4, is the provision for this Adoption, he says in verse 4. But when the fullness of the time came, there was an appointed time. Right? God had set it up. This, this really reflects back to verse number 2. Right? Because he says, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father. And then Paul comes on a couple verses later. He says, when the fullness of time came. He says, God had a plan. And in God's plan, he had set a time that in which he was going to reveal his plan and he was going to send forth his son into the world and it was going to be the perfect time for it to happen and the perfect revelation of that in order to accomplish his purposes. God provided his son. 
So what does it mean? I mean, why did God choose the time in which He sent Christ into the world? What was so significant? How had the fullness of time come about? Well, some have pointed to the reality of, of what is known as the, the Pax Romana, that is the peace of Rome. And they said it was a time in which the world, the, the civilized world anyway, enjoyed a relative time of stability in government. They shared a common language. It, it provided... Um, an ease of, of traveling among the countries. It, it, was, it provided the perfect time for which the gospel could spread throughout the world very quickly, right? And, there, and there's definitely something to that. And that's most of what the commentators will say. They'll point to that reality and how God had brought all of this about. But as I was studying this and, and thinking about it, I, I came to a very different conclusion when it came to the fullness of time. And I began to think about what it meant for the time to be filled up, and that's really what the, the significance of that terminology means, for the time to be filled up. You see, what, what was going on in Israel at the time? Was Israel a free nation? No, they were under the, the oppression of the Roman government, right? Well, what about before that? Well, before that it was the Greek government. What about before that? Well, before that it was the, the Medo-Persian Empire. And what about before that? Well, before that it was the Babylonians. What about before that? Well, before that, it was the Assyrians. You know, see, Israel had been going through periods of judgment. They had been restored in part to their homeland, but they were still under the authority of a pagan ruling class. And, and as I began to think about that, and listen, all of these, all of these empires, these were all predicted to come about back in the days of Daniel. You go back and read Daniel and he talks about the governments that are going to be coming and, and you begin to think, man, God knew what he was doing. And so all of these things are being fulfilled. And, that's, and when he starts talking about the fullness of time, I'm thinking about the fullness of God's promise coming to fruition in, in line with everything that he's revealed about what he's about to do. So he'd been revealing for hundreds of years what he was about to do. And now, in the fullness of time, Instead of continuing judgment against his people Israel, he brought in a Redeemer. He brought in the Messiah. The Messiah who had been promised, well, really since the beginning of time, when, when sin entered into the world. But you begin to think about specific prophecies concerning what the Messiah would do and what he would be and, and how he would deliver Israel. Not just from worldly oppression, not just in, a, in an economic way, not just in a social way, but spiritually, dealing with the root of their issues and the, the, the heart issues. And I think about Isaiah 53 and all the great verses that come through there that tell us that, you know, all we have sheep have gone astray and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all and by his stripes we are healed and we know that that is completed in Jesus. And then you keep going in Isaiah 53 and in verse 8 it says this, it says, by oppression and judgment he was taken away, speaking of the Messiah. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, and this is the last part of verse 8, it says, for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. That is, the people still deserved judgment, but God made a provision for deliverance. 
That's the significance of Christ coming into the world. That's what it means to be in the fullness of time. So there was an appointed time and there was an appropriate circumstance in this provision. Listen to what he says. He says, when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son and praise God that He did, that God sent His Son into the world. He was a gift given to us, but He sent forth His Son born of a woman and born under the law. Now, there's two circumstances that it speaks of here. Born, being born of a woman and born under the law. Both of them teach us something about Christ's humanity. But it also teaches something about the significance of the incarnation, which we focused on last week. Because listen, what does he say? God sent forth who? His Son, right? So, God sent forth His Son. The Son of God came into the world through a woman and born under the law. It emphasizes, or it reveals both the deity of Christ who came into the world, but also emphasizing His humanity. He became human in order that He might endure the punishment against humanity's sins. But He was necessarily God in the flesh, as we talked about last week. Necessarily because He needed to endure as the eternal Son of God, He needed to endure an eternity's worth of punishment for an innumerable amount of sins for an innumerable number of people. And only God could do that. And so He was born as a human. He was born from a woman. He was born under the law. You know, a lot of times I think we, we confuse this and... and but Jesus was not above the law. For it to say that Jesus was born under the law, what do you know? That means he was subject to the law. That means the law still weighed on him just as it does every other individual. The law still required of him the same things as it requires of us. The only difference is, is Jesus, being God in human flesh, fulfilled the law where we couldn't. Where we fell short, where we violated the law, Christ fulfilled it. And if you even wonder if, if, if you know, you, you say that, and I think it takes people by surprise sometimes, you say that Jesus wasn't above the law, but even his own words, Matthew 5, verse 17, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. See, he held the law up. He understood the significance of it. It was his father's law. Christ didn't come in order to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. He came to be the, the fulfillment of it in order that he, might be perf that he might represent perfect obedience to God's law in order that He might be perfectly righteous so that when the time came, He would be an all-sufficient sacrifice. You see, if Christ had sinned, He would not have been able to die in our place. But Christ, because He was righteous, because He was perfect, because He had fulfilled the law, then He was able to take our sin upon Himself and to give us of His righteousness. He was born of a woman, born under the law, that He might make provision for our adoption. Being sent into the world as a gift from the Father, so that all who would believe in Him might come to a right relationship with the Father through the process 
of adoption. That's what we get to in verse number 5. It says, so that he might redeem those who were under the law. Redemption is the means by which God accomplishes our adoption. You know what redemption is? It means you're paid for. That's what the word means. It means to pay in full. It means to pay fully something that's owed on your account. And guess what? We owe God our lives. Our lives. The whole of them. Our very soul belongs to God. Whether to be punished for eternity or whether to join Him in eternal life. Ezekiel 18.4 says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins will die. And we've inherited a death sentence because of our transgressions of the law, and yet God in sending His Son has made provision to overcome our sinfulness and to impart to us His righteousness in order that we might be adopted into His family. That does not happen by our own effort. We can't choose to be adopted. You think about how many, how many children that have been adopted in this world chose who adopted them. That's not the way it works, is it? Adoption works the other way around. Adoption works the, the, the parents choose. God chooses us. Not because of anything that we've done, but because He loved us and He sent His Son. That if we believe in His Son, He says, I will make you part of my family. So we put our faith in Him and we look to Him into the family through the process of adoption. will pay for your sin. Our violations of the law put a debt on us that we could not pay. So the Father steps in and He sends the Son He says, I'll pay the debt. And who's he paying it to? He's paying it to himself. So that justice might be carried out. Because God is holy and God is just. He pays our debt to the Father. 1 Corinthians 6.20 tells us, You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. God's purchases us as one that purchases our sins. And, and this, this really struck me um, yesterday, actually, as I was, as I was looking at this. God we talk about God purchasing us. He actually and he gets rid of it. And how does he get rid of it? Because he couldn't just throw it away. He had to satisfy it first, first, right? He takes our sin and he puts it under receive the adoption as sons. And this is where we get into this this the purpose of adoption, which is the final point here. In our redemption, we're really made clean. We're not is like in this world. I hope you have a great family, but the reality is there's a lot of family struggle and relationships aren't what they should be. But you know what? We have a Heavenly Father who loves us more than we could ever imagine. And, and He has chosen to love us. He has chosen to pay for us. He has chosen to accept us. And in accepting us, He has made us His children. You know, a lot of when we when we think about families that adopt, the biblical picture of adoption is when you're adopted, you are fully a child. You have been given a new name. You know what we call that? We call that Christian. 
You've been given a new name. You are in Christ. You are His. You belong to Him. You're no longer what you were. You have been made something new. Just as Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. New things have come. You are made new in Christ. You're given a new name. You are identified with Him. You've been given a new purpose. When you're adopted into God's family, you get all of the responsibilities of being a child of God. You give the others the nature of your adoption so that they might also come into the family of God. We're given a new name. We're given a new purpose. We're given new provision. You know what it means to have God as Father? It means your Father owns everything. It all belongs to Him. You know what it means to have God as Father? It means your, God, your Father is all-powerful. It means nothing is outside of His control. You know what it means to have God as Father? It means your, God, or your Father knows everything. He knows your hurts. He knows your weaknesses. He knows what you need. And you know what? He provides for His children. It also means we get a new inheritance I think one of the most beautiful aspects of our adoption into God's family is this reality that we are promised an eternal inheritance. And you know what? It's the same inheritance that Christ receives. We are co-heirs with Christ. Romans 8, verses 16 and 17, it says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. Everything that belongs to Christ belongs to us. We are fully God's children. There's no distinction between the, the, a, a natural born, there is no natural born children of God, by the way, Right? So, you, you have to be born again, and in being born again, you're adopted into His family. That's how it works. There are no natural-born children of God. You're not born a Christian. It doesn't work that way. You have to come to faith in Christ. And as we come to faith and as we become God's children, all of the promises of God become ours in Christ Jesus. All the promises. His faithfulness, His power, Eternal life, eternal joy, eternal love. All ours through Jesus Christ. Because we are created new in Him. As Revelation 21.5 says, And He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. God has a purpose and a plan from eternity past into eternity future that includes us as his children to provide for us, to be for us what we need. The doctrine of adoption teaches us that we are wanted by God. That he purposed to set his love upon us and to call us out of darkness and to bring us to repentance that we might not only be forgiven, but that we might be made family. When Jesus came... He came in some pretty unusual circumstances. And we talked about that, and if you haven't heard last week's sermon, I'd encourage you to get online and go back and listen to it. He came in some unusual circumstances, but you know what? The sovereignty of God works all things out for His glory and for our good. 
And God orchestrated events to provide an earthly family for his son when he came. A family that would provide and guide him into his mission so that one day we could be part of God's family. As we celebrate the birth of Christ this Christmas, I want you to, I want you to remember that when Jesus came, it was necessary that he be adopted by Joseph. He needed a father to provide for him, to guide him, to help him accomplish the mission for which God had given him. And that mission was so that one day we might be adopted by the Father and we might be part of his family, so that we might be forgiven and accepted and made new. By faith, we receive the adoption as sons and daughters. Let us pray together. Father, we can only begin to thank you for this great act of love which we've received in the sending of your one and only unique Son into the world. Father, we have been redeemed by his blood. We have been adopted into your family because of what Christ has accomplished. Let us never take for granted what you have done. Let us never think that we are somehow better than anybody else who has not yet experienced your grace. For it is only by grace that we are saved. Only by faith in the name of Christ can we even be partakers of grace. But once you've adopted us, Lord, all the things that we talked about changing, our legal status changes too. We're no longer separated, but we're, we're called your children. Never to be shut out. Never to be forsaken. Never to be left alone. But we enjoy all the promises of grace all the hope and the perspective of future glory, the hope of heaven, the reality of your love being worked out in our lives on a daily basis as you conform us into Christ's image. Father, as we celebrate Christmas this year, I just, I just want our hearts to be renewed with an appreciation of that gift which you sent for us so many years ago. That when we think about the birth of Jesus and we think about what he experienced in his life and we remember you did that because of your love for us so that one day we might come to you and you might receive us into your family that we might be whole. Lord, you do things which are impossible for us. You do things which we can't even fully understand. And Lord, with all the uncertainty and difficulty that comes to us this time of year, with as much joy and happiness as we like to think about that surrounds Christmas, Lord, there's also a lot of hurt and there's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of sadness. But Father, we... We don't have to be stuck there. 
because you are not just our God, not just our Lord, not just our Savior. You are our Father. Perfect in all that you do. And your perfect love reaches out to us. Help us to embrace it. And let it transform us from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you to stand with me. Continue to think about what Christmas means. Continue to think about the significance of our adoption. Even as you think about that baby in the manger who was adopted by Joseph. Think about your own adoption by the Father. And submit to Him today. The altar's open if you'd like to pray. I'll be down front if you'd like for me to pray with you. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And uh, just... Let the Lord deal with your heart and respond to Him. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is Jesus, Lord, at thy birth.